Hello and welcome to another episode of Whip Chat. This is a special edition of Whip Chat. Today, I have a couple of special guests. First, I am co-hosted today by my son, Sebastian. Hi, guys. Hi. And the other thing that's super special is we are interviewing Johnny Ogren. Welcome to the show, Johnny. Thank you very much. Good to see you guys. And you have some big news to let the Whip community know. You want to go ahead and let people in on this big secret that's not so secret well i don't know if it's a big secret but uh, <laughs> i got the uh, second edition of my book coming out second edition see right there second yeah <laughs> that's the first edition oh and yeah. here's the second edition. the second edition look at that oh it's beautiful very oh thank you very much can and uh of course in the first one you you covered a lot of great material and has been a wonderful reference for making all kinds of beautiful things and and really spells out a lot of the the details there. I've used it in a in a number of different builds just to reference like how did I do this again? So, thank you very much for spelling that out and I'm looking forward to to seeing what um what you have in the new one. I do want to let people that aren't familiar with you know just a little bit about you before we get into some of the details in the new book. So, you are the Primary craftsman's owner, CEO, and janitor ever at <laughs> Witchcraft Whips. Is that correct? I'm everything. The everything. I'm absolutely everything. Awesome. And you make absolutely stunning whips that are uh, intricately braided, beautiful, high plat count, as well as a award-winning whip maker yourself. And you were the judge at this year's uh, WhipCon also. So thank you for right. all your service there, and, and we will look at some of your whips and some of the, uh, the whips from WhipCon here in a minute. So, so tell us a little bit about your new book. What's the, some of the cool things that you've added? Well, the first book primarily focused on the uh, Aussie bullwhips, as I call them, or the Target bullwhip. Okay. Uh, it sort of touched briefly on uh, what I refer to as the classic model, and then it went on to uh, snake whips. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I re- just really wanted to expand on the book to make it more comprehensive. So uh, the new book will, or the second edition book, will focus again on the Aussie bull whips and go into greater detail on the classic model. And it also covers snake whips, signal whips, and stock whips. So we got complete instructions for five whip models. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, oh, thank you. Is it going to retain everything that was in the first book as well? Yeah, well, essentially, I took all the information from the first book and uh, just made a bit of tweaking here and there, updating a couple of things just to touch it up a bit. And plus the additions of the classic model bull whips, mm-hmm. the uh, signal whip and the stock whips, plus a couple of extra things. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing those new things. You did such a great job in the in the first one here. You can I don't know if you've had a chance to look through it. You should flip through his first edition. And in, any questions sure. you have. You're gonna you can, hand that one down when you get the new one. Absolutely. That one has some nice autographs in the front though, so we'll have to have to see. Oh. <laughs> add, add some new ones. <laughs> oh yeah, see? Yeah. Over bring there it over you this go. way. Yeah, see. It's really awesome. It is. So do you find that those models, like the, the signal whips and all, those are the primary ones that you get requested uh, to, to build specifically? I, I notice uh, no, no indie whip you mentioned, specific, or is that your classic model? Well, the, the indie 
and the classic are quite similar. Mm -hmm. So I didn't go into details on how to make an indie style bullwhip, but I'll cover that somewhat in the section of the book that's on the classic model. So, but they're quite similar. So if you build a classic model bullwhip with an eight inch nail spike, you'll essentially end up with an indie bullwhip. Okay, that's that's wonderful. And as people get specialized in indie, of course, you have your people that are really particular about how many, you know, squares are in the handle showing and all, and and that that's sure. easy enough to if tweak. You, if you want to get into all those kind of nifty details, you can, of course, but that's not in my book. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Go go to your indie uh, cosplay forums and stuff, and you can find that detail pretty pretty clearly. Actually, I think there's several videos on YouTube by other whip makers that talk about some of those things as well. So, mm -hmm. and, but as far as building it and so that you can pick those details in your own book, do you feel like you're showing people a, a detailed recipe that you have to follow or you can't make a whip? Or are you kind of showing people the idea behind it also? Well, I essentially try to cover the techniques and methods and reasoning that I use, mm -hmm. uh, but it wor it's worth mentioning that it's the techniques and methods that I use today because things have been different in the past and it'll probably continue to evolve down the line. So this is sort of a snapshot on how I do things currently. Sure. But um, yeah, I, I really wanted to, I do provide for like the, the Aussie model and the stock whip and the classic bull whip, complete instructions for a particular whip. But I also try to explain how to sort of uh, adjusted if you want it a wee bit heavier in the second part of the thong hmm, right. if you want it to use this same design but for a longer or shorter whip how you sort of adjust the measurements and what have you so i wanted to provide quite clear details on a build and then describe how to adapt that to other builds okay okay excellent yeah i, I think that's going to be very useful for people as they try to once they can build it according to the recipe, just like you make anything at the, in the kitchen, once you can follow the recipe, then you know if you need to add a little more salt or add, you know, change, change the recipe up. You need to first know how it's supposed to taste correctly and then sure. start changing it a little bit. Yeah. And also, I think the first build of, of the book is for the Aussie model because it's mm -hmm. a very popular and useful model. And that goes into great detail on how to measure, how to... Mm -hmm. adjust or calculate or what have you and then for the remaining builds i'll sort of dial down the amount of information i'm giving you so i'll in a sense i'll force you to okay. calculate your own strand widths once i have explained how to do it so that you actually get to practice because i i think that many makers who learn from like youtube or similar will learn how to build a six foot bull whip but they right. can't convert that to a seven foot pool whip because they don't have the strand lengths, for exactly. example. Exactly. So I think it's important to sort of get that mentality and learn how to adjust things and how could to calculate things on your own. So I'm really hoping that my book helps somewhat with that as well. I hope so too. I know that it's been frustrating. I've, I've talked to other makers as well that, that, that say the similar thing. Like they're just begging people to... Like, where do I need to drop this? You didn't say where I had to drop the thing in at this, at this, you know, belly or this overlay. Like, well, you need to understand. I mean, yes, we can measure that out and show you on this one. 
Um, mm-hmm. I, I helped someone uh, make her first bullwhip. She she read. Can't remember. It was one of the classic American books, but it was uh, she wanted the big black snake whip, but it basically meant a black bull whip in the the book that she was reading, and so I showed her all the drops and wrote everything out, and then she sent it to me later, and it was really gappy, and there were she should have uh, dropped at different places, um, mm-hmm. you know, dropped later, not not drop as soon, and it turns out that I pull a lot harder than she does, so right. Because of that, the strands didn't go nearly as far, and I, I guess I didn't do a very good job teaching her um, right. that sort of thing. I, I, I remember, you know, when I was just starting out a bunch of years ago, mm-hmm. I would ask a more uh, experienced maker a question like, how long do you cut this or, this or that or what have you? And I would be quite frustrated with answers like, well, you just have to cut it wide enough or braid it long enough yeah and i was like how hard can it be to just tell me 34 inches if that's the correct answer <laughs> so it was really frustrating not being able to like get a a certain answer but later on i realized oh well you know it really differentiate from different whips it's all always a case-by-case decision so sometimes you know you just have to cut it long enough or wide enough whatever that may be so sure. it's the po- best possible answer I could have been given. Yeah, I, I, it, it really is. And it, it's difficult for beginners to learn. Um, Sebastian hasn't made his first one yet, but I'm afraid yeah, he has his own. He, yeah, he has it there. <laughs> that, that's his whip that he awesome. can crack. Yeah. And do you know the name of the... Do you enjoy it? Oh, yeah. Isn't this just like a normal stock whip? Uh, it's a bull whip. Bull whip. Oh, okay. Yeah, normal bull whip. Yeah. Do you enjoy it? Yes, I do. I enjoy it a lot. What do you know the name awesome. of the crack, crack you can do? Um, I think I just know how to do the forward crack. Yeah. If that's what you call it. Right. Yeah. The exactly. cattleman's crack. Cattleman's crack. Exactly. Good job. That's exactly. You can right. also use it to chase your dad around the house. Yeah, he, he can do I that. can do that. <laughs> yeah. oh, <dear>. Awesome. <laughs> we have a rule against that, though. Oh man. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> so. Um, sure. Um, so what was it like judging the uh, WhipCon this year? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, yeah, fantastic question. Well, it was uh, good fun, uh, really. Uh, it It's always challenging. We decided on to use a, um, like a proper scoring system for the mm. whips to set them apart because I also help judge uh, the last uh, whip-making competition as well. Uh, And, you know, you can sort of, say you have 20 entries, you can fairly quick pick out like, okay, these six whips will be in the top somewhere. Mm -hmm. But then you have to sort of sort them out. Okay, which one is the second whip? Which one is the third whip? And if you just going off a of a feeling like okay my i'm a bit more drawn to this particular whip and maybe the other judge is a bit drawn to the other whip so i I wanted to wait to sort of really set the whips apart so what we did was that we sort of found our top contenders in each category and then we gave them a score 
from uh, zero to 50 for their design and the craftsmanship. Okay. And they also got a score from zero to 50 uh, in the handling and how well they cracked. And uh, that way it was really easy. So I put down my scores, say a whip got a 42 points for the mm -hmm. craftsmanship and maybe 38 for the handling. And that gave it a total score. And that sort of made it mechanical in a sense, like one whip would come out slightly on top of the other. I see. And having two whips on the exactly same point would be very unlikely. So I think that system worked well. And uh, I also think that whips should be judged both on the craftsmanship and uh, how well they perform. So I think it's a, it's a good system. Yeah, I, I, I think so too. Um, I, I'm trying to find in my photo album, I don't see, I didn't get a great picture of all the, the finalists for the, the leather whip. I know that you have at least one of them, right? From the competition. I have two. Oh, you have two of them. Which two yeah, do you have? The second and third place. Which, which ones do you... Oh, that's right. So Blake Gorey got, uh, got first place, right? And uh, let's see who... And second was Alex Jacob. Alex Jacob, that's, that's right. And then Adam Winrich was the third place, yes. correct? Right. Correct. Do you have those so handy? I... Yes, I do. Do you want me to fetch them? Oh, I'd love to see them, yeah. Could you show us sure. a little bit? Just a sec. Sure. I have them hanging on the wall, so I just need to pull them down. There we are. All right, so we'll switch to... Which one do you want to see first? Well, let's look at the uh, second place there. Second place. Alex Jacob of Cobra Whips, right? Oh, look Correct. at that. That is beautiful. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about when you were scoring it, what you're looking at here Whoa. as an expert. Look at that. Like skills. Well, first and foremost, we uh, look at like the craftsmanship and uh, the craftsmanship. I mean, this whip wasn't made to be a competition entry whip. Hmm. It's uh, only a 16 plat, if you will. Usually for the whip making competition, it's usually a more high plat whip, but it's very well made. And it shows a lot of creativity here with the integrated oh, wow. pommel wow. into the braiding. So, if, if so the strands... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, go ahead. Now, the, the strands are cut wider to cover the diameter of the pommel. And they, then they taper real rapidly and go into the Whoa. handle and the rest of the thong. Uh, but um, this whip scored really well when it came to the handling because the handling is on point awesome do you know yeah. anything about the construction methods he used or that you can determine from uh, looking at it well let's see i don't remember if it's a single or double belly design but alex normally doesn't use any bolsters so mm. it's essentially a fairly thick core and uh two bellies on top of that i'm pretty sure this one has two bellies and then the overlay. Wow, that is just stunning. And, uh, yeah, and Alex is also the original inventor of the Dyneema Falls. Oh, yeah, braided into the end of it there, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so there's no separate fall. It's all one continuous piece. So you can actually tell right away that uh, the natural curve of the thong also goes into the fall. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Instead of being a 
flames to scrape up leather. Right, which probably yeah, helps really with the nice cracking. Whip. Yeah. Yeah, that is beautiful. Very lucky to have it. Yes. Yeah, I um, traded one of my whips for uh, this one with Alex, and then Whoa. we ended up entering into a competition, and uh, I earned him second place. Wow. Congratulations, Amazing. Alex. That's amazing. Sure. Yeah. It really is. And uh, the third place was Adam's eight foot twenty four plat bull whip. Oh, look Whoa. at the look at the plating on that. Yeah, it's really pretty. That's actually really awesome. Wow. So I don't know how many eight foot twenty four plat Adam Winrich bull whips there are, but there can't be too many out there. <laughs> no. So I'm quite happy to have one of them, and. Uh, this one is uh, shot loaded. It has three bellies, I yeah. believe. Yeah, he said yeah, three. I'm quite sure. Oh. And the overlay, which is quite a lot, and it's a fairly heavy whip. But uh, Adam told me he just made it shot loaded and with with uh, three bellies because it sounded cool. <laughs> and I have to agree, it does. It does sound cool. What is the uh, what is the end on? What's the uh, hitch? How many point end? Uh, it's an eight point. Eight point full hitch. Oh, that's so, tiny. Quite yeah. a small one. Wow. Yeah, that's strange. I think really Adam took down. a lot of uh, uh, notes from Chris Barr making this whip, and it mm -hmm. really shows. So the overlay strands are split to um, half a mil thick, so they're really thin. And that also makes for a really teeny tiny point. Wow. Yeah, half a mil. My goodness. Wow. That is, that is very, very small. And then... Yeah. Um, I, I do think it's fascinating to, uh, see your level of expertise as you're eyeing those things. Clearly they picked a, a great judge for that. I mean, oh, you, you do you. have a couple of books on the subject, so, um, I do. I do. <laughs> uh, what about when you went to the, uh, the nylon, um, was it very different as a leather whip maker judging the nylon whips? I've got, uh, well, obviously I'm not as knowledgeable about like how to make nylon whips uh, since i'm all in the leather category myself mm -hmm. uh, that being said i'd like to think that i can recognize quality when i see it sure and uh, you know just handling the whip and seeing how it performs so but it's great fun I, lately the last like couple yeah maybe three or four years the artistry that goes into nylon whips has really increased so it's good fun i also love the fact that we're seeing more full plat nylon stock whips full plat does they mean the handle completely covered or what? yes okay usually when the with the nylon stock whips it's only half plat handles but i really love the full plat right ones. oh i see so, so i'm like... happy to see more of that awesome awesome yeah these are gorgeous and actually this knot looks familiar down here. <laughs> yeah. You can learn that particular knot in my book. <laughs> That's right. That's cool. I have yet to tie that one. I, I should Actually, that'll be on my to-do list here in the next, next yeah. little bit. I, I need to do that. I, I, I do have gorgeous. a section in the book where I talk about designing your own custom knots with a fairly simple technique that I came up with. And I included that knot in the book as one of the examples. And... Uh, Chris Wright put that on his competition whip, and it's good fun seeing it in 
person. <laughs> yeah, it is. I like that. And, and it's just fascinating to see. I mean, we have three extremely different whips here, but with mm-hmm. different designs in them. But, uh, yeah, that that must have been difficult to judge. Especially the one over to the right. It looks like a bunch of snakes. It's an octopus. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Okay, so tell me, as a judge, how how did this feel to hold, and how did it crack, and and all that? I've had several people ask me. Yeah, well, right away, it's a absolutely fantastic whip. I mean, the creativity there is absolutely amazing. I've never seen any nylon work even come close to that. Uh, the octopus is absolutely beautiful. Uh, so, I mean, you can't score much higher for craftsmanship. Yeah, uh, I think what sort of, again, I just want to really point out it's an amazing whip. It's absolutely amazing. But what sort of brought it down from the first to the second place uh, position was that it was a wee bit awkward to hold. Hmm. Like it, it wasn't very comfortable because you have the eyes from the octopus. Yeah. And, um, you also have like the tentacles and what have you. So the grip is a wee bit awkward, but mm. as a showpiece, it's absolutely magnificent. Yeah, it really is. It really is beautiful. And it cracked nicely once you were able to hang on to it. Sure. Sure. But um, I think from a handling standpoint, uh, Adam's whip was a bit better. So that's sort of what put him slightly on top. But uh yeah, it was a really difficult decision. I mean, if we hadn't had like the point system, just separating those two whips would be impossible. Oh wow! Well, congratulations on that. That's that was no easy easy task, I'm sure. And uh, it, it takes the craftsman to really understand um, other craftsmen, I think. So thank you for your expertise you. there. It was a oh, my pleasure. It was a, a joy to to watch the process as well as to see all the. All the work there. Um, do you feel like this? How, how do I say this? How, do you? If you buy Johnny's book, will you be able to win a competition? Do you? I mean, that, that's going a little overboard, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, you sort of. I think you'll have a solid foundation to build on to get to that skill where you could win a competition, and I also do, you know, explain how to braid patterns into your whip and what have you and you just sort of can you build a competition whip using my book sure you can but you need practice as well of course of course yeah yeah i I think was it your book that you talk about after you make a certain number of whips you get okay and then after you get to 50 or so you should you're a little bit better and so on yeah sort of your um, uh, how you evolve as a whip maker because i remember like making my first handful of whips i was so proud of them i thought they were absolutely amazing but there's a lot of improvement going on when you're just starting out from knowing nothing so when you've made like 20 or 30 whips you look back on those first handfuls of whips and you realize well they probably weren't that great yeah but and, you know, then as you continue to develop, once you've made 50 whips, you look back on the 20, whip number 20. And yeah. It's like, yeah, well, and that's sort of just how it continues. But, you know, it'll sort of flatten out a bit. You'll come to a level level 
when you are essentially making one good whip after another. Mm-hmm. So like the the improvement won't be as dramatic. But uh, as long as you're trying to try new things and try to improve things, it'll improvement will always be there. Sure. And you, uh, you feel like you're I, still I think, improving. Uh, Sorry? Do you feel like you're still improving? Oh, sure, sure. But uh, I like to draw a comparison. Like if you're, if you're like me, if you're a bit of a fat guy, if I were to start running and I started like working out, I could see massive improvements the first year. Mm. But um, if you take like an Olympic sprinter, they can practice for a whole year just to shave like one tenths of a second off their lap time true so in the beginning you sort of improve rapidly but then it sort of flattens out more and more but as long as you keep you know practicing improvement will always be there even if it's just minor right right um so if you have a bunch of um whip knots in your book here and in your new second book which is awesome can you name this knot on the end here that's a good question oh that looks like a pineapple knot to me ah yeah. It does kind of resemble a pineapple. That's that's exactly what yeah, that is. Yeah, sort of does. <laughs> it has it, it has those characteristic zigzags. Exactly. Yeah, like the spines here. Yeah, like the spines yeah. on a pineapple. Exactly right. Well, that that's great. And uh, Whipcon we, there was a lot of fun stuff going on, not just whip making as well. And it was interesting to see that different people had I mean, obviously, they had their particular whip of choice that they were using, whether it was a stock whip or a bull whip or, or whatnot, for different events. And I, I think being able to see people use these whips to such a high level is is really impressive as well and probably helps with whip sales, I would think. If uh, Like Ian Cameron was the, was the winner. You know, which whips was he using for the single whip or the double whip or, or whatever? Um, right. Like he posted a video of Alyssa Myris's stock whips that he was using, doing some amazing stuff with. And yeah, I mean, she makes a great whip. Um, Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, when if you're a musician, especially if you're uh, just starting out, yeah, I, I mean, when I was like 12 years old, I was really into ACDC. I still am. But uh, I was just getting into playing guitar. And I wanted like I wanted the guitar that they used. I wanted the Gibson SG. So it could be the same thing, you know, if you're just getting into whip cracking and you're really looking up to Ian or Adam or mm-hmm. who have you, and like, what kind of whips are they using? And then you're probably gonna want to go get something similar or something from the same maker, perhaps. Exactly right, and. Uh, have you tried to, or I, I don't know if anybody was using any of your whips in this competition or not, but have you have people used your whips in competitions that you know of? Oh, I don't know, actually. I think most people who did the competitions, I was busy judging the, True. the whips most of the time, uh, so I didn't get to see much of the actual whip cracking competitions. But uh, I think most of them used nylon whips. Uh, I think most of them. So yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't think I was represented in the in the lineup of whips being used. Uh, why? Why do you think that is? Why do you think that the performers are using nylon so much now, I, here in America at least? Well, 
I would probably say like, if you're just out grinding, practicing your whip cracking, you're likely going to be using nylon whips because that's the sort of the modern day working whip, if you will. Sure. They can stand up to being cracked four hours every day. And when you get to the competition, you probably want to use the set of whips that you are accustomed to using. So yeah, that's probably one aspect. Whereas the leather whips are maybe used more for recreational whip cracking, if you will. We're just out in your backyard messing with the speed of sound. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so... Well, how, how do you think we can get people to use use them more in in the competition? I mean, that it is a little sad. We have these beautifully made whips that that feel incredible to crack as a leather whip. We need to get them get them in the hand of these winning performers. Well, I'm quite sure that most of uh, like the top whip crackers do own a few leather whips at least. Yeah. But uh, again, I think it just boils down to your approach to whip cracking, perhaps, you know, uh, personally, I'm, I'm a whip maker primarily, but I do some whip cracking just for fun. And, uh, again, I primarily use my leather whips because that's what I enjoy the most, but I have a bunch of nylon whips that I use when I'm just out messing around. But, um, so I think if you're, coming into whip cracking, wanting to do it like sports or learning advanced techniques, I think you're probably going to lean towards the nylon whips more and uh, probably little... just use those because you're familiar with them. A lower barrier to entry as far as cost and availability, I would think, as well. There's that as well, sure. So your beginners are going to be using that. Thank you for joining us, Sebastian. See ya. He says bye. See ya. See ya. <laughs> Thank you, Sebastian. That was fun. Yeah, it was fun. He was very excited to join, so I'm glad he was able to. Awesome. Glad to have him. Yeah, thank you for entertaining his questions. Um, all right, so continuing on talking about um, both your book as well as the, the WhipCon, um, we have a lot of things we could talk about. There was a lot of events. There was a new uh, obstacle course as well. I don't know if you had a chance to try that out with your whip or anything. I wish I did, but I missed out on that one, but it looked like great fun. It was great fun. And I, I have yet to set one up for myself here in the backyard, but I want to build one similar. The, uh, yeah. cut a target and then grab a handkerchief off the other side of the, the stand was for those that don't know, and then do something and then you have to hit hit an object out of a circle and it was it was a lot of fun and it i i practiced it i think 10 or 12 times beforehand and i was 80% doing it 100% right every time awesome. so 80% of the time i did it 100% right <laughs> um but <laughs> when it was time to do it i just it was all all thumbs and didn't do very good but there's a lot of nerves that come ah, yeah. creeping in, you know, when you're up there and need to perform. Oh, of course. I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. But yeah, I, it, I, it, I remember entering my first uh, single whip freestyle competition. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not much of a whip cracker, but I would thought I would enter it just for fun. And being up there, you know, cracking whips with everyone looking, you know, 
I never thought a minute could be so long. <laughs> now, isn't this going to end anytime soon? But yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot of nerves that comes in when you need to really perform. Right. And depending on how aggressively, how hard you crack, how fast you crack, and uh, you could get through your planned routine considerably faster than a minute if you're not careful. And, exactly. Or wear yourself out if you haven't practiced for that length of a performance. Um, right, right. There was, yeah, some, some people were obviously very strong and practiced quite often. and Others were, uh, were dying by the end of their time, you could see. Right. And some people cracked super fast. And other ones were very slow and relaxed, which is, a, I love watching the videos when you crack, actually. You're so relaxed and just looks like you're just moving and letting the whip do its own crack. And then you just move a little bit and let the whip do its own crack. It's, it's, it's kind of a joy right. to watch. Yeah, well, I, I always or mostly think of whip cracking like you know, some sort of meditation. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Again, since I'm a, a nerd when it comes to making whips, I like to sort of like feel just how the whip behaves. I'm not out after doing any fancy cracking or what have you. Right. The, the only real trick that I wanted to learn was the Queensland crossover, and I know how to do that. So I'm not really aspiring to do the Hassets for Corners or what have you because it's just yeah. not my style. So whenever I'm I'm out whip cracking, you know, I just feel like how the whip cracks, how the weight distribution is. It's a bit like a wine tasting, you know. You take uh, a small yeah. sip, swirl it around your mouth, just feel how it touches your palate, and that, that's <laughs> what I enjoy about it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I love that idea. Kind of, um, Kit had a, a workshop at WhipCon called uh, a flow a flow workshop. He called it. And mm -hmm. I think there a lot of what you said is come ties into the way that he was showing how to do that. Really feel where the whip is in the air and feel your connection to it and feel it as an extension right. of yourself. Not that you have yeah. to be out there doing yoga with a whip, but having that connection between the two can be a very zen experience for sure, even if you're going fast and furious with them. Absolutely. Um, do is there anything that uh, I didn't mention in the intro, but you are, of course, in Sweden, and yep. um, that is that is not here. <laughs> that is, it's I, not I, unfortunately. I, I am in Fort Worth, Texas, cow, cow country, um, and uh, you know, cow town. It's Fort Worth, and it's, it's someone having a bullwhip. It's not unusual. Is it unusual in in Sweden? Being, I mean, you have a, a guy that writes books and an expert here, a judge from sweden yeah well I, i'm i'm my own island in a sense <laughs> uh, i know I'm, i mean no we don't really have a history of uh, using whips up here uh, but you know of course we've had lots of cows and cattle and what have you but we didn't use whips we have the buggy whips of course for horses true but As most that's about did. it when, when we were herding cattle back in the days we usually just you know had a stick and went along like clapping them or just to sort of ah. move everything along so we don't have a uh, culture of whips if you will mm -hmm. historically so but you know there are a handful of whip enthusiasts around none near me but 
No. As is the case, so, it seems like, with all everyone that likes whips, your friends yeah. aren't nearby, which is part of why we do right. this podcast, actually. And I, I appreciate you joining yeah. for that, to bring the community My together. My pleasure. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Um, is, is the cattle culture... I mean, I mean, we're kind of going off a side side trail here, but <laughs> I mean, you have like four feet of snow just recently. How how does that mm-hmm. how does that work? Do you go and dig the cows out of the snow? <laughs> you don't no, have to hurt them. Usually, they're, they're inside this time of year. Okay. So around you know April or so, we'll let them out into the pens and what have you, and uh, they'll be out until sometime this autumn, and they'll head back inside again for the winter. Okay. So that's normally how that goes. Yeah, around here, winter is, you know, a week, <laughs> two weeks, and then it's yeah. warm again. And <laughs> it gets cold again, but then it, it's, it's short periods. So I'm not used to thinking of right. bringing the cows in for the winter, like uh, right. an extended right. period of time. That That's fascinating to see the difference. Also, I guess it, if you're just bringing them in, you know, the once for an extended period of time, you're not doing a, a tremendous amount of herding them long distances. So here we exactly, were exactly you no know, herding them. That was more of a thing, like way, way back. So we we don't have wild cow, cows running around no. everywhere. So. Yeah. Yeah. Versus here in Texas, people have you know the hundreds or thousands of acres, and the whips are still still exactly. useful. And same in Australia too, with the large areas. Yeah. Um. So how is it that in, in Sweden, not only did you become uh, uh, into whips and learning about whips and fascinated with them uh, clearly, but uh, wrote a book on it. Even how how did that come about? What's where'd your interest start to to lead to here? Well, I think you know when I was a kid or younger, I saw the indie movies and I saw oh, Batman yeah. Returns and I saw Sorrow and what have you, and I always thought you know when a whip showed up on screen, it was really cool, but. Um, it didn't spark any true interest in me for whips at the time. I just thought it was a cool item. So I was happy to see one occasionally. But um, then I sort of much later in life um, happened upon your regular leather crafting. Mm-hmm. So I started making belts and uh, just simple things. And uh, I just got the weird idea, well, maybe I can try to research and see how, if I can learn to make a whip to put on the wall. And I got like the Ron Edwards book and uh, oh, sure. the encyclopedia of rawhide and leather braiding mm-hmm. and just started researching. And that sort of dragged me into the small rabbit hole that is whip making. And I, it's a small hole, but it's incredibly deep. It, and I fell be. in there and just made it my home. I just love it there. So like all the belt making and wall of making just faded away in the background. All I wanted to do was whips because I found it really interesting Mm. that a, such a, you know, by the looks of it, simple item could take so much sophistication to build, like building something so simple could be so hard. (laughs) Right. Uh, actually, before before you continue on, um, for those that haven't made a whip, that are, maybe they're considering, um, like buying your book to make a whip, that, that haven't mm-hmm. made one, talk, talk a little bit about some of that sophistication and and I mean, should people be afraid of starting their own whip? 
Absolutely not. I, I think of, you know, a, a lot of people write me now and again saying like, hey, I really want to make a leather whip one day, or I've got the tools, I just haven't gathered up the courage to cut into the leather. And the, the very simple answer is you just have to do it. You know, you have to sort of look at those first couple of heights as a learning experience. You know, it's probably not going to be great. Sorry, but uh, it's, it's the cost of tuition, really. Yes, yes. You have to cut into those heights and just start practicing. And maybe it's a bit like, you know, when you're learning how to drive, you can make circles in the big empty parking lot. But there comes a time where you, where you need to sort of make that turn and head out into the actual road. Right. And that can be really scary if you only know your way around the parking lot. <laughs> Very but true. You're, you're going to have to go out there if you want to learn how to drive. So Right. And you're not going to go and become a professional truck driver before you're able to drive around the parking lot or drive down the street either. Right. Awesome. So I think it's important just to, you know, grab the bull by the horns and just do it. That's the boring but simple answer. And, I mean, definitely having good education is a great way to uh, ease that transition, I think. Just like sure. take driving lessons versus trying to figure it out yourself. Right. Both will work eventually, I suppose. But having a yeah. good instructor is important. And also, you know, while we're on the subject of uh, driving, uh, I think one of the reasons that I wanted to make, write my book from the very start was because, you know, a lot of the, the classic books like the Ron Edwards one and what have you, they're absolutely amazing. But I thought that they were were very basic, in a sense. Uh, so again, if it were a book on how to drive a car, I think most of the old books were like, "That's the steering wheel. That's the gas. Have fun." You know, okay. <laughs> but I I can't really I I don't know how to drive a car from reading this. So I wanted to make one that you know tells you well you have to use your indicators. Here's how to safely overtake someone. Like, just go into more detail to really learn how to drive. Right. What, what do you feel like is in your book that really was missing? Like, is really specifically, what, what sort of things? Give me one or two things that you wanted to add in there that was, wasn't. Well, I think a lot of the old books were like, they didn't have enough details, I think. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they'll essentially tell you, like, braid a belly but that's it it didn't go into exactly how to cut out the belly yeah. or to what width or length to cut the strands or how tight to braid it how it should feel when it's braided if you yeah, so have to know you know if it's too tight or too loose or and, right. uh, yeah so i just wanted to and also a lot of theory like maybe I, I remember like the balance in whips being very confusing to me when I was just starting out because I figured it had to do something with weight distribution, but right. I couldn't find any information about it. So it took me a long time to figure out what's what balance in whips was all about. So I 
sort of put that in the book as well. He has to get that down there for the next person. Right. Because, right. you know, if, if I've been down this road right. for a bit, if there's a low-hanging branch, I like to yell out to the guy behind me to watch out for that branch. <laughs> exactly. So that's I... sort of what the book is about, like just putting a bunch of information together that might be useful or interesting to the beginner. Yeah, I'd like to dig into that a little bit so people can kind of get a feel for what, what you're talking about. So in, in balance, let's let's talk about that. So there is the idea of, of course, lead weighting, wrapping a lead sheeting around the heel knot. There is, the, mm-hmm. I've seen people like balance a whip on their finger to balance the, the handle to the thong. Um, other people, I see them cracking it and talking about the balance. Um, what does balance mean to you and, and how are you teaching people about what, what is balance? Well, again, as with so many other things, balance can mean different things to different people. But um, I might get a bit of hate for this, but I just think it's silly, you know, trying to balance the whip on your finger, saying it's perfectly balanced. But to me, it all boils down to feel. Maybe someone could relate to a whip being very nose heavy, for example. So that's one type of balance if you will and having the weight further back into the handle that's another type of balance Mm -hmm. and there's no like set point like if you were to hang the whip up it should balance right at the transition there's no such thing in my book but uh, it's more of just making the whip comfortable when you pick up a whip and crack it you want it to be comfortable to use and crack and I think i the balance plays a big part of that. I, I do too. And I some of the times I've felt a whip that I thought was unbalanced is where I feel like I'm having to force it through the air. It's like the thong, the, right. the handle is too short or, or too light to balance when I'm trying to move, move the thong around. When I want to reverse it and pull it against the way that momentum is moving. It's, it's very difficult to, to do that. Um, Sure. Other times I picked up whips that coiled up. They feel super heavy, like indie-style whips usually with on a nail spike. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet when I'm moving them, they just they move around very smoothly. And I, I to me, that that is a balanced whip. I would agree with that 100%. You know, uh, There's also you know some talk. Occasionally someone will want to order a whip and they ask, like, how much does it weigh? And I'm always like, I don't know. I don't weigh them. It the only time the I right weigh a, a whip is when I'm about to ship it, you know, <laughs> just to see what the parcel is. But uh, because, you know, uh, depending on the balance, a a heavy whip can feel light when used if it's balanced yeah, exactly. nicely. Exactly. And also uh, in a whip that the balance is way off, it can be light, you know, in your hand. But when you start to crack it, it might feel really heavy. Yeah. Yeah. I felt some stock whips and, like that out at Whipcon. I won't name any names. Some people like that feeling than than other ones. Um sure. to like for the four quarters, they usually want four the Hassett's four corners. They want to have that weight more out in the thong. But for just moving it around easily cracking, to me it felt like more work than I was expecting to have to put into it. So it's just right. a different feeling. It wasn't bad. They loved yeah. it. Yeah. But, you know, that's also why most whip enthusiasts have a bunch of whips. It's like if you're going golfing, you're not going to bring one club. 
because they all have <laughs> different in, intents and purposes, you know. Sometimes for this particular trick, you might need a whip that's really thong heavy. Yeah. Because it just makes, you know, getting that one crack behind you a wee bit easier. And uh, other times when you're like me, you're just going to be out cracking just for fun or for to relax. You want something that's just nice and comfortable. Yeah, exactly. And so it, it just, you need to pick the right club for the course you're on or for the hole right. you're at, where you're at on the hole. Um, yeah. I remember Adam talking on one of his, I don't know, video or something, but how different Australian crackers will have a, a whip for one specific trick that they're wanting mm -hmm. to do. So, and that, that's all that one's reserved for. And they will buy a bunch of different ones from different makers until they find the one that feels just right to them for that particular trick trick. Sure. I think oftentimes it could be that they're so accustomed to using one particular set of whips and uh, obviously they're all going to be different, at least slightly different. Yep. And once that particular set of whips break or gets too old or what have you, just trying to find, because you know, you develop the muscle memory for different cracks and tricks. Exactly. And it, they just need to find something that's as close as possible to that old set because that's how you know how to do that trick. So you want something that's really similar to that. And you might have to go through tens of whips just to find something that's even close. Right. But, uh, and you're talking about very nuanced differences there. Yes. Have you had to try to match something like that for anyone? Have you had any of those... People come at you wanting details like that? I don't think so, but I'm quite hesitant to trying to match things. Uh, I feel like that puts a cap to my my own workmanship in a sense. I mean, it, it would be very difficult to make an exact copy, but when you're braiding leather, it, every hide is going to be different. You know how much conditioner you or planning soap that you put into a whip will right. affect the weight ever so slightly. So there's just too many parameters to try to match. Right. And just you know if you wow. if you split your belly strands to 0 0.7 mils instead of 0 0.8, that's going to make a difference. That's and true. The planning tension has it's just so much. So I just don't want to try to match something that's specific. So you make the best whip you can. I mean, they probably good advice for everybody. Make the best whip you can with the material you have and how you know how to do it and see right. see what it matches to what people want, I, I suppose. Yeah. But, um, you know, if someone were to come to me and say, hey, John, I have this stock whip. It was made by Chris Barr 10 years ago. And I want one just like it to use this as a match set. I would probably have to turn it down. I mean, I could probably get reasonably close mm -hmm. if I wanted to, but it's still not going to be as close as, they, as it needed to be. So, yeah, I don't think I, I would probably just suggest get a, a new set of properly matched sets. <laughs> right. Would be a lot easier. Yeah, I, I was listening to another whip maker. I think it was Glenn Denholm. 
he had a performer that was using a pair of whips that he had made many, many years ago and had been handed down to them. And so they were very broken in, very old, and they were getting pretty good in the whip cracking circuit and a, a mouse or something chewed through the strands and just, just destroyed it like halfway down the thong. And they were wanting a replacement. And it was the same, a similar conversation to what you're saying right here. Like I recommend just getting a new set and just kind of learning it over again with a new set as close as I can. But you know, that was 20 years ago. And right. I, I make whips. I, I actually have a riding prop right here that lost the heel knot to a mouse. Oh my so goodness! Look, retie that. But you know, it was lucky. You know that it was just a heel knot. I mean, the mouse could have chewed it right here in the center yeah, right of the, in the prop. Middle. But uh, keep your whips away from mice <laughs> and dogs and also foxes. I remember someone getting their whip chewed by a fox. Wow! All kinds there. Is, yeah. is there a, other than just keeping them up off the floor, is there any way to treat it? Or I, I've heard of people mixing things into the plating soap to keep things away from it. I mean, that's one way. But uh, I would just suggest I keep all my whips in a big, like, Ikea plastic box with a lid. So that keeps it safe from potential pets and um, I have a couple of crazy cats and they chewed the fall off a couple of whips. Oh no. So it also protects it from them. But you know, I think it, it was probably more of a thing back in the days when you, you know, hung your whip up in the barn before you went in for the night. True. Uh, so in those instances, it might be good to have something that would repel mice. But um, I think, I mean, just, don't place it on the kitchen counter where your dog can grab it. You know, <laughs> right. just be, be mindful and uh, store it somewhere where they can't get to it. Yeah, I think that that's excellent advice. And I forget which book it was, but they was talking about mixing kerosene into the plating mm -hmm. soap. And that was a little disturbing. I don't think that's probably good for the leather. but No, I, I don't know, but... I, again, it probably did did a job back then. I clearly, but uh, I think it would be much easier just to put it somewhere put where it away, mice yeah. can't get to it. Do you, Do you have a particular recipe you talk about either in your book or that you use yourself? I, I Blake Gorey mentioned he has his own special blend that he uses. Yeah, the snake oil. Yeah, the snake oil. Well, I, I like to make life as easy for me as I possibly can, so I do 90% of my braiding with uh, Phoebe's Aussie conditioner. Good so stuff, I use that stuff. for planning soap. It works absolutely great. And I can just buy it in, in the can and it's ready to go. So there's no hustle of having to cook your planning soap. Right. I've done that in the past, you know, and it's doable, but I just don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I understand. Um, actually, you can kind of see it here on my door. This one was years ago that was natural so it has uh, been conditioned over the years to get much <laughs> much darker so, right right well you know it's also you know important when you're making a whip like different braiding soaps and different conditioners will affect the leather in different ways mm -hmm. and um, i sort of stumbled on the feebings conditioner more or less by chance but i really loved 
what it did to the leather, like the uh, the whiskey color and the saddle tan color, it sort of darkened it somewhat, but it at the same time like made made a the color really pop, in a okay, sense. Sure. But on a natural hide, it left it almost it did nothing to it. And I thought that was really interesting. Like it would darken the whiskey color or the saddle tan color, but it wouldn't do much to the natural. And um, interesting. So I just started using it for uh, essentially all my braiding. But if I if I don't want to do anything to the collar of the whip, I'll use uh, Big Four and uh, Big Four. Okay. Brady, the overlay with that. I, have I, I don't. I haven't used that one. This one. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. So it's a really weird conditioner. It's almost like silicon in a way. So it's really slippery. But the only downside to it is. Uh, the leather just soaks it up, so you just slather it on, and two minutes later, it's all gone. It just oh. <laughs> heads straight into the leather. Wow! But uh, and also, it doesn't seem to add uh, the same amount of weight to the whip as plaiting soap or beadings does. I wonder if it's a water so, base also, to where it's evaporating too. Like I don't know. That's, that would be interesting. I, I some of the other. It might have been Blake, actually. But uh, the, the, what about the thought of potentially oversaturating either a belly or a uh, bolster with making it too heavy and too too saturated so it comes out later, squishes through the overlay at one point? Is it possible, in your opinion, to, to over oversaturate any of that? Or you're using the well, wrong stuff. Of course it's possible, but I think it would be very hard to go overboard mm -hmm. with the, the conditioning. Uh, me personally, I think, you know, the whip needs to have a lot of conditioner or planning soap or what have you in the core and in the bellies, because as you condition the whip later on, it'll essentially be just the overlay. True. Of, of course, it's going to penetrate somewhat into the whip, but it, it won't get into the core anytime soon. So I just make sure to slather everything in there with bunches of conditioner to make sure that that keeps the insides in good condition for years to come. Right, right. Uh, that makes a lot of sense, but, actually. But I, I, Go ahead. I think, uh, you know, some whips do have the, the bloom coming out from the braiding. And uh, I mean, it's not a big deal, really. You can clean it off without too much hustle. But, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that sometimes it happens because of yeah. whatever conditioner or fats the particular maker used, but it's not a big deal. Okay, that, that's good to hear. Do you, uh, or we were talking actually out at WhipCon about uh, bolster material, speaking of, <laughs> of that. Do you have any of that? You, you Recently you switched to um, Chrome Split, is that correct? No, I've been using that for... Oh, you've uh, been using it. Okay. Maybe, Someone yeah, else maybe changed. five or six years at least. How do you feel that that works versus just a really thin cowhide that has, you know, both sides on it? Do you feel that that is different? And how well, so? I think the chrome split... I use chrome split for the core and the bolster in my Aussie bull whips. And I think it makes for a real fluent whip. Uh 
it uh, to me like using your regular cowhide even if it's thin is going to make the whip a lot stiffer and uh, since the Aussie bull whips are quite light having it be really stiff would mean it has a more trouble at least in the before it breaks in properly to form a loop and uh, but but I'll use cowhide for my classic models okay. and uh, for shot bags and what have you so the chrome split is sort of reserved for the Aussie model but it makes for a fantastic whip in my opinion but yeah. the bellies are still kangaroo okay so it, it would be chrome split cowhide is what that would be specifically you're saying yes or, okay fascinating so it's a very very similar to suede right a right bit thicker yeah i've got which is i, th I think basically it means they've split a thick piece and this is like the back side so both sides look similar correct i believe it is yes yeah and it's a very strong but That's very me. soft and pliable at the same time is it i'm not as i, I want to interview some people from uh, the leather leather making community soon um, which I've been talking to you about on the side. Thank you for that connection. Mm -hmm. um, do do you think the uh, getting a, a kangaroo chrome split would be different, or would it? You think? Have you tried that? Something. I don't think that would be possible, actually, given how thin the kangaroo skins are. That's that's true. Uh, like just having the, that down the skin. Like if you took a half mil off, well, what was left, it would still be would super thin. I don't know how thin it starts yeah. out as. But but I've used, um, let's see here, pig skin. Mm -hmm. That's uh, split like, like a chrome split or a suede or what have you. And it's really thin, like 0 0.5 mils. Wow. Okay. And uh, that, that's been doing quite okay. I've not used it regularly just for experiments on the side. Right. But um, yeah, it doesn't add the weight or the diameter that I'm after. Right. Yeah, I've got several different things that I've got for other experiments too. This is this is chrome tan, but it's not. It's you know two different sides to it, so it right. would right. would not work, and it feels like a car seat too. So I don't think it's going to be in yeah. any whips. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, interesting to see. Are are you experimenting with other materials as time goes on? Are you, do you have access to try different things? Or? Well, I'm always open to it. Obviously, I don't like to shut any doors uh, prematurely, but I think I'm not actively looking for mm -hmm. new materials because I feel, in a sense, that I've sort of landed in what I like to use. For the Aussie models, it's the chrome split and the kangaroo bellies. For the classic model, it is Vegtan uh, Cow for the bolsters and the core and the kangaroo bellies. And for the stock whips, I do that all kangaroo. So it's a kangaroo core, kangaroo belly, kangaroo bolster, and kangaroo overlay. Wow. And it's just okay. how I like to make them. But uh, if I stumble across a material that seems interesting or that might do the job better than anything else. I'll be open to trying it. All right. Hey, do you, is there anything that you have, uh, that you've changed in the last few years that you feel like has, has solved the problem that. Ooh, that has solved a problem. Um, on my YouTube channel, I have a video 
I think it's called How Your Whip is Made. Right. Uh, right. And I got uh, Nick Schrader doing a voiceover for it. And in that particular video, I'm doing more or less a classic bull whip build with the cowhide core, kangaroo bellies, and cowhide bolsters. And I used to make my Aussie models using that same principle. But uh, then I sort of discovered the chrome split and uh, changed up the design of the Aussie model. And it just made for a very nice whip. So I sort of stuck to that when it came to nice. the, okay. the Aussie model. But and I also tried, you know, incorporating the chrome split into the classic model, but it just didn't feel quite right. So oh, but, I like that, that you're experimenting. Or, or had yeah, you, you yeah. have experimented to really determine what is the best versus sure sure but but also you know small changes that you make uh, trying to seek improvement doesn't always improve your work sometimes it just makes it a bit different it doesn't have to be better or worse it's just different and right. uh, but but I think like the for me at least and how I build my whips the chrome split made my Aussie models a lot nicer. So again, they were pretty good before that, but uh, they're that yeah, much better I now. Decided to go that route. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. Do you, uh, um, so we, we've covered a lot of different material here and I, I do want to be respectful of your time. We're at over an you hour. You keep saying that. You shouldn't be. You shouldn't I, be. Just I'm very disrespectful of your time. We're going to go as long as I want, regardless of what you say. No. <laughs> um how can people get a hold of your new book is pre-orders up i mean i'm not sure when the show will exactly be released but it'll be very soon um yeah what's the plan yes, there to uh, get these into people's hands the, the plan is i have a by the time you're watching this most likely the pre-order will have opened Okay. Uh, so you should head over to my website. It's uh, witchcraftwhips.se slash book. And uh, if you find me on Facebook or Instagram, uh, you'll also find a link in some post that will okay. take you directly to it. And I'll put links and, to uh, all of that in the descriptions at various places for this as well. Awesome. So people can but, just click uh, on Yeah, it. so I'm doing a special pre-order package for those who decide to pre-order. Oh, nice. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, so everyone who pre-orders will get the book, obviously, but they'll also get a few stickers Ooh. that I'm having made. So I'm just waiting to, for those to show up. And I'm going to leave a, a window of about three or four weeks for the pre-orders. Okay. So everyone who wants to pre-order and get the stickers for free uh, will have a chance to do so. And uh, then we should have the books in the mail sometime mid-March. Mid-March. All right. Then people will start making all kinds of wonderful whips with, with yes, your guidance hopefully. there. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Johnny. This has been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Sebastian, who snuck out earlier. But thank you for co-hosting with me. And uh, I, I hope everyone go out and buy Johnny's book. I'm going to be getting one, and I'm looking forward to trying all these models out with uh, Johnny's build recommendations and, and trying them out myself. This is very exciting. And I'm looking forward to seeing what everyone makes. 
And hopefully next year at WIPCON, get to see you again, maybe everyone else that see all these different ones that people have made this year using your, yeah. your guidelines as well. Yeah, you know, it's fantastic, you know, to see people post things that they've done using my book. And uh, I'm, I'm actually really surprised just how well beginners are doing. Uh, me too. There, I re can't remember the guy's name, but he showed me, oh, this is my second whip. And he sent a picture to me and he used my book and it looks absolutely amazing. So <laughs> awesome. people are doing a lot of great work out there. So keep it up. And uh, also a big uh, thank you to you, Christian, as well for making the podcast. Absolutely well, amazing you. stuff. Thank you very much. It is a, a labor of love. Um, and it is. If you have a dollar or two left over after ordering Johnny's book, I, I do have a, a donation page as well. Um, but go buy the book. This will keep going regardless. I'm, I'm over at whipchatpodcast.com slash donate. If anyone wants to help out, that'd be, that'd be a big help. But uh, yeah, go get Johnny's book. We're going to make whips and crack whips. And I hope to see everyone out there and uh, we can meet up and talk online, join the various Facebook groups. But I hope everyone... It just keeps on cracking. Thank you again, jo Johnny, for joining the show. And I look forward to seeing you in person next time you're over this way. I'm going to do my absolute best to make it out there again. All right. Thank you all and keep on cracking. <laughs>